Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Well, I'm Dr. Joey Stasio. I'm an osteopathic family physician. Uh, and currently the uh, chair of the Department of Primary Care at uh, Rocky Vista University. So the career path that led me here, I guess, is somewhat circuitous. Uh, I never thought I would actually be a physician at one point or even be in medicine. Uh, Going way back, I went to my undergrad in upstate New York. I'm in New York. Uh, boy, and went to school, thought I would be a chemistry biology high school teacher was my uh, ambition. And uh, fate had it right after graduation. I went with my family, moved to Florida. This was in 1977 and didn't get a job as a teacher. I ended up getting a job in a hospital working as a respiratory technician. And all of a sudden, you know, started to learn about medicine, you know, and interacting with people, uh, what medicine's about. Uh, then met a physician's assistant during that time. And I applied to PA school and became a physician's assistant and worked after the graduating from Emory University, uh, came back to Florida and worked in uh, primary care for about seven years in a small town called Stewart, Florida. And uh, interestingly, the two docs that I worked with, one was a family doc and the other was a general internist. I was the third person in the practice. The two docs I worked with were osteopathic physicians as a physician's assistant. And so after seven years, it was kind of like time to go back to medical school. So I was a very non-traditional student and went to medical school uh, down in South Florida. Back then it was Southeastern College of Osteopathic Medicine, CECOM. Now it's known as Nova Southeastern after the merger. Uh, graduated medical school, uh, and chose, I guess it was my comfort zone, I uh, chose to do family medicine residency in uh, Miami. And subsequently, after finishing my residency, uh, now Nova Southeastern asked me to stay on as faculty. So I worked uh, for Nova Southeastern for almost 15 years as faculty. And during that time, ended up being the program director of the family medicine residency program I graduated from. And then in 07, I was asked and recruited to come out here to Colorado to help start Rocky Vista University. And uh, I've been here since uh, as chair of the Department of Primary Care. So that's how I got to my current position. It's kind of a roundabout way and something I thought I would uh, never end up being as a physician uh, but yet also a teacher. So I think it worked out really well. Yeah, in a roundabout way, you are a teacher now, even though it that was your original goal. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
you kind of touched on this just a little bit, but why you kind of touched about how, you know, it's kind of your comfort zone, but originally kind of what drew you to want to do family medicine? Well, again, you know, my, that, that first position and uh, that one position I had as a family, as a physician's assistant, it was in a primary care slash family practice. And, you know, at the time, a lot of PAs were getting jobs in primary care, which still is today, probably the majority of PAs end up in primary care. Uh, and, you know, working seven years, I learned about family medicine. The, the, and what I learned about it was the, the breadth and the variety that you see in family medicine uh, and really enjoyed it. And I had other choices coming out of uh, medical school. I was actually uh, invited to be a uh, pathologist, to do a pathology residency. I strongly considered surgery, uh, but I just always kind of circled back to family medicine. It's what I like. You know, I like the interaction with the patients. I like the long-term relationships that you develop in family medicine. So it was kind of just like, it was the obvious choice to be a family doctor. That's kind of how I feel too. I feel like it's a very obvious choice for me, even though I haven't done medications yet. I'm Mm -hmm. on the year, but that's kind of always how I felt as well. Um, How has being a member of the ACOFP impacted your career and how long have you been a member? Oh, Oh, man, I've been, well, since I was in my family medicine residency. Okay. Uh, Probably it's the one organization that has really had an influence and impacted on my career. Uh, I have, uh, I don't think I have missed one ACOFP conference in almost 30 years. Uh, Just the people you meet, it's everybody's like-minded, just I don't think there's better people than osteopathic family physicians. Uh, you know, the support that the, uh, the organization gives us, you know, as osteopathic physicians, especially, you know, being our voice from a legislative standpoint. Okay. Uh, things, you know, they were instrumental, you know, in passing, you know, laws, you know, with Medicare and, other uh, insurance companies, you know, so osteopathic family physicians uh, are fairly reimbursed. Uh, Also, you know, they had a big influence on me the years as a residency director, you know, all the uh, program director workshops I went to as, uh, you know, through the ACOFP. And I sat on committees with the ACOFP and, I got to say, one of the greatest honors, which I had no clue, uh, I was told this is back in 2016, I received the ACOFP uh, Physician of the Year Award. Uh, The greatest honor that my uh, college, you know, uh, family practice college could, could give me how that happened, I still don't understand. <laughs> so it would. So it, like I said, it's it really impacted the friends I've made over almost thirty years. Uh, have have been really influential, you know, in my career. 
I kind of feel the same way. I'm on the student executive board and now I feel like I have really good friends from all these medical schools across the country. And it's very helpful because you can always reach out and say, hey, what did you do? And this happened and you get all these different perspectives. So I think that's really valuable. And, and, and wait, wait till 25, 30 years go by and see how you feel then, how the people that you've met and all the, you know, how they've influenced you and the friends that you're going to make. It's you got a, a great path in front of you. You really do. Very excited about it. What made you because I know you so you always kind of wanted to be a teacher, but specifically, what was that decision like to stay in academic medicine? Or was it even decision? Was it just kind of like, well, this is what I like. I love teaching, so I'm gonna stay. Well, okay, so let's I thought after residency, you know, actually I was the plan was to go back to, you know, where I actually worked uh, as, you know, as a physician's assistant and joined that practice as a physician. Uh, but certain situations occurred with me, as, and not to get into details with my health, but uh, the medical school, after I was finishing my residency, offered me a position as a faculty. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was married, just married, molded over with my wife and said, yeah, let's give it a try. And uh, I just, you know, fell into it. Uh, you know, the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And it also with at the Nova Southeastern, I had the opportunity both to practice medicine and teach medicine, you know, and it kind of fulfilled my love of teaching and also practicing medicine and to me it was like the perfect combination of of the things i like to do yeah. what is one thing you what's your favorite part of just about being in academic medicine in general oh that's the easiest question you've asked me <laughs> it's the students but yeah. it's you guys yeah we love to have you too so <laughs> the feelings uh, the you know, I've been doing this almost 30 years now. And to see the growth process that happens, that you walk in the doors as a freshman, and when you graduate, you are not the same person. The growth is amazing, totally amazing. Uh, and, you know, it's just, for me, it's just so much fun to be teaching. You know, sharing what I've learned over 30 years, my experiences. Uh, if I can teach one thing and you remember it in your career, I've done my job, you know? And sometimes I wonder how many students and even residents that I've taught at the residency level, uh, you know, how they've maybe something I taught them, they implemented with their patients, you know, how far has that gone? So yeah, it's, it's the students, it's the residents, watching you guys learn is is the very best part of it yeah i feel like as a student sometimes it feels like there's so much information i feel like that i can't retain it all and then just looking back on myself even from just first year um it's like wow i feel like i like you don't realize how much you know and it's just like you can have a conversation about something yeah. and you know all these things so yeah i was talking to you know just this uh last the lab we had uh, wednesday talking with some students you know for the first year students, this was their last PCM lab, you know, for the semester. And I said, think about just in one semester, how far you have come, 
the skills that you've learned already, you know, you're able to do almost, you could take a history and do a physical, you know, you couldn't do that when you walked in the door here. So the growth is amazing, you know, and just stop and think about it. You know, think about it for a moment, how much you've done, you know? Is there anything that you kind of don't like about being in academic medicine? Mm, Yeah, I guess, you know, from my side, you know, when you're in an institution, let's say the politics, uh, you know, I could live without it. I'm, you know, I think that's why I've, I think I've done well or thrived in academic medicine because I really try to, for me, you know, not get involved in the politics if I don't need to, you know, I just find focus on what I'm supposed to do is, you know, my job as chair or my job as a residency director or my job as teaching the students and, you know, avoid the politics. That's one. Maybe the other thing is, which is just part of the job and part of any medical school is always seems like, you know, you finish one accreditation inspection and there's another one coming up for another organization that's got to accredit you. But that's that that's the nature of the business. That's that's what we have to do. You know, so, you know, I wish I could, like you know, teach all day long, but yet you got all this, you know, administrative stuff you got to do. So but that's part of the job. So do I don't like it? You got yeah, but you got to do it. You know, it's part of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still see patients now at all? Yeah. So I was practicing pretty steadily when I was in Florida. I knew I was giving up some clinical practice when I was coming here. But what I do have, I guess, is a small aviation medicine practice. So uh, I got so one of my hobbies and one of my big interests all my life has been uh, aviation and actually been a pilot longer than I've been a physician uh, flying and I'm still flying airplanes today. So, uh, so it just made sense to be uh, trained and um, been certified now for over 20 years as an AME as an airman's medical examiner. So the pilots come to me for their physical exams and if they, you know, pass their, they meet the standard, they pass their physical, I can issue them a medical certificate, you know, that they're, from a medical standpoint, legal to fly. So I have now probably several hundred pilots, (laughs) you know, I I take care of, you know, they come to me. So, you know, probably spend a half a day a week, time-wise, you know, doing those physical exams. And the other part of it is, uh, especially the pilots who have, they do have medical issues that may inhibit them from getting a uh, medical certificate. And they have to go through a process with the Federal Aviation Administration called special issuance. But I like helping them, guiding them through that process, you know, because they don't know what's going on. Like I got to tell them, well, you have diabetes and you're not allowed to fly an airplane. Okay, but they can get a special issuance and let me help you work through this with the FAA or, you know, you're on an antidepressant and you can't fly an airplane. Let me work you through that. So that's, I enjoy that, you know, helping the pilots, you know, work through the, uh, some issues that they may have. So it's kind of, 
you call it clinical practice, it's real subspecialized being an aviation medical examiner. <laughs> so it sounds like you're able to balance that pretty well with all of your responsibilities at RVU and your position. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I just kind of look at my schedule and find it, squeeze them, find the time <laughs> between teaching, between administrative work, between labs. It's all fun. Yeah, I really, and I enjoy going down to the clinic and seeing patients. Yeah, my husband's a pilot, so. Um, oh, is he really? Who's he flying for? Does he, he fly for the airline? So he, I don't know if you've heard of, there's a program at SUU where we did our undergrad and he started in their program. He just is a private, he just has his private. Um, oh, but maybe once I'm done with medical school, he's going to go back, but that's, that's the plan now, but it kind of got to be too much with him in flight school and then me also starting medical school. So <laughs> yeah, so he, he's actually a hunting guide now, but um, he does yeah, really, really enjoy aviation. He was in civil air patrol all growing up and still does. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, joining civil air patrols. So. Yeah, it's really fun. He, he, yeah. he helps as like a, like a mentor advisor for the, mm -hmm. the chapter here, but it's really fun. Uh, yeah. So what is one thing you wish you would have known before choosing family medicine, if anything? Uh, I Maybe I would, how broad the, the, the variety of patients you see, you are really uh, a jack of all trades. Uh, not realizing, you know, that, you know, you, you could see infants, children, teenagers, adults, right through the geriatrics. Uh, you don't know what's coming in next. You know, you could be a H-E-N-T doc on one patient, and then now you're a cardiologist on the next patient, and, you know, and now you're GYN on the next patient. So, you know, it's, uh, but one thing I didn't, realize in family medicine is how much uh, psychiatry you could do. You know, there is a lot where a family doctor treat, whether, you know, it's depression or, or even bipolar or, you know, uh, anxiety disorders, uh, com obsessive compulsive disorders. You know, if it's not that severe, I think it's well within the uh, realm of a family doctor treating that, you know, especially if you're a family doc, I think in a uh, rural area where there's no, you know, easy access to subspecialists, uh, you learn how to treat these things. So, you know, that was one of the things realizing how much psychiatry is really involved in family medicine. That was a lot. So, but like you said, you know, you, it's, how broad the different types of patients could come in in just one day. So, I think I've read before something like, and they've done studies, or like 60 to 70% of all family medicine visits have some psychiatry component to them. I oh, don't know. yes, yeah, you know, some mental health, psychiatry, something. Yes, it's true, you know, and you know, you really do become a counselor in a lot of ways, you know, talking to people. And again, when you're treating people, treating families over the long term, you know, you may be in practice for 20, 30 years in the same place, you know, you grow with these families, you know, you may come in, you know, and they have a baby 
and you start, you know, taking care of the baby, giving the immunizations, and the kid gets older and has earaches, and then, and all of a sudden, you know, 25 years later, this person's an adult, and you've treated this person through all their illnesses and everything else, and the family too. So that's what's great about family medicine. You know, it's the long-term relationships that you make. <laughs> what's one for change you foresee happening in medical education, whether that's just all the medical education or primary care or family medicine specifically? Well, right now, well, I see it more here because working for the medical school. I, I think currently, uh, I think COVID had a big influence so right, the, I think the change we're seeing now is more remote teaching in medical education, and I mean not just the school, but everywhere else. Uh, realize, you know, realizing that you know materials can be delivered uh, off campus remotely, whether it's through Zoom or now video lectures. Okay, uh, I personally still. Uh, like to get in front of a classroom and lecture and to me that's one of my joys uh, but yet there's still things in uh medical education that uh has to be done hands-on you know whether you know your physical examination labs you know your clinical skills for us the osteopathic world certainly our opp skills uh i think you know that uh write a passage of dissecting a cadaver you know i think is important so certain things have to be yeah i think still uh done in person uh other things i see uh you know what concerns me is as more medical schools come online you know classes get bigger and this is both in the allopathic and the osteopathic world uh you know there's just so many clinical rotations to go around and i i think the competition between medical schools for uh clinical rotations is going going to get a little steeper as we move forward into the years so we'll see where that goes and the same with uh uh your residency training okay uh Seems like now it's not the hard part getting into medical school is the stress I see on the medical students is how am I going to get a residency program? That seems to be a bigger uh, stress on the students than actually getting into medical school. And I can see why. As the years have gone on, again, schools, more schools have come on board. Classes have got increased. So we're graduating over the last, let's say, 20 years, more medical students. But the number of residency programs available has not grown at the same rate. And, you know, there's a lot of work now being done by even this school and other medical schools. Uh, and, and again, uh, pushing the government for funding to uh, start developing more residency programs for you guys. So, so I, that's another, whether it's a change or I see foresee happening is, you know, developing more residency programs for graduates and we'll see now it's only been a couple of years since we've had the unified match all right uh the first year it was kind of i think an aberration and i think COVID had a lot to do with it uh but we're like for us thank god for rbu we did fantastic 
in the match this year, you know, from both campuses. So we're feeling really good about that. And also we were feeling really good about the upcoming match, you know, for the graduates uh, coming up this year. So, so that's something to, you know, keep our eye on into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from a rural area and so it's like where I grew up, you know, you can't you can't get in to see a doctor unless you want to wait four weeks, five weeks, like any type of doctor, let alone a specialist. Right. And like, nobody's taking new patients. And so I always have family members ask, Oh, why why is it so hard to get into medical school? Why don't they just like open have more medical students? Like, why is it so hard to get more doctors? And it's like I try to explain because there's so many different steps and they all all have to be in equilibrium because you can't have like a backup of any one of the you yeah. know, one of the feeders into the next step. So it's a very mm -hmm. complicated process. I'm sure to try to balance that out on an administrative level. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I went to medical school um, in 1987, did my residency from 91 to 94. It was a different world back then. You know, there was no, <clears throat> excuse me, there was no match at that time. It was an interview and a handshake, you know, yeah. and you know, and here's, here's your contract, you know, if you, we like, you know, it's so different today. So, you know, I really do have empathy for you guys, really, really do, you know, so, and whatever we can do to help you, hopefully, you know, the institution is, you know, and I think we are, you know, really supporting you and helping you and guiding you to get through this process. So. Is there anything that you would like to leave with students? Oh boy, a lot of things. I yeah, wow. Uh, I think the first thing is give yourself some grace. Okay, you mentioned it earlier. You can't know everything. All right, just give it your very best effort. All right, and you know what's important is to get through medical school successfully. Okay, you know it's interesting that you know when you're applying to medical school. You know, all the applicants that we see, you know, you guys are at the top of the heap applying to medical school. You know, you're the cream of the crop. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily relate to how well you're going to do in medical school. You know, you've been so used to, you know, being an A student. You know, when you get your first C on a test, it's not devastating. It's just, it is what it is. Okay. You got to get through it. And so, like I said, don't be hard on yourself. Right? Give yourself some grace. Uh, I think another thing is maintain a sense of humor. Okay. You, you know, medicine is hard enough. You know, don't get down on yourself. You know, there are a lot of light, fun times in medicine. I think back to medical school, some of the best times was just laughing with my classmates. You know, you know it really was, you know, getting through it. Uh, and the support from your classmates, you know, so, uh, and just continue to do the things you love to do, you know, family, friends, uh, hobbies, you know, me medicine is not the end all be all of life. Okay. You know, uh, what's, let me see, you know, work to live, not live to work. Okay. You can still be be a great empathetic and compassionate physician okay okay but you know you know work to live you know, use that as an opportunity and as a physician you know 
hopefully you will be able to enjoy the better things in life, at least from a, you know, a economic standpoint, you know, at least still being a physician is, you know, from an economic standpoint, even no matter what field you end up being in, uh, you know, you will be on top of the heap from a, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint and enjoy the good things in life. So that was just some of the things I would leave with you guys. Yeah. Well, thank be you happy. so much. I think you've shared a lot. And that's one reason I wanted to have you on because you've had such a diverse background and I feel like you have a lot to offer to us, oh, RQ, but students all across uh, the ACOFP. So really appreciate your time. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.